Welcome to a Gates Open podcast about the greatest game ever played. I'm Jonathan Horowitz, joined by Susan Rayburn, a writer and editor at the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C., where she is the author of a book called Football Nation, about 400 years of history of football in American life, a book that I was very privileged to provide some research for. And in this book, Football Nation, Susan, Professional football didn't necessarily get the running start that the college game got and certainly didn't get the running start that you would think it got given how big the NFL is today in the United States. That's right. The NFL was a real straggler. You had 40 years of college dominance by the time the NFL actually starts in 1920. The college game has a lot of tradition and history behind it. What the NFL realized was early on was if baseball can make it by having both Uh, minor league farm teams and a professional element, why couldn't football do it? And that was one of the interesting things about the effort was we're going to see if we can make a profit on a paid sport that traditionally has always been associated with the colleges. You had club teams and you had semi-pro teams, but the NFL in 1920 is really um, making a big undertaking as it tries to establish itself as a professional sport. It was played in all kinds of remote areas in, in the United States the NFL today being played in some of the biggest cities and some of the biggest stages but when football first started and we'll get to what is the greatest game ever played but when we had the first professional games was there a moment where the NFL turned a corner from its modest beginnings to really starting on the road to becoming the big force that it is today? One of the biggest early moments is going to be actually about five years after the league starts when Red Grange leaves the University of Illinois where he's... The Galloping Ghost. The Galloping Ghost where he has been a huge superstar and he's known across the country even though he's a Big Ten player. He's known across the country and he arrives uh, to play for the Chicago Bears and that makes people take a second look at the NFL. Hey, here's a guy that I've heard of who's a superstar. He's playing in a league that I've never paid much attention to. I think maybe I'll take a look. And so that is that gives the sport some legitimacy, the fact that Red Grange was willing to continue his football career beyond college. Most players did not. Today, with the Super Bowl reaching its 50th year of existence, so many great NFL games, but there's one game that's called the greatest game ever played. If you look it up, As long as the history books aren't rewritten and and they won't be in the United States, they may very well be if if, uh, 1984 and George Orwell becomes how we chronicle sports. But the greatest game ever played refers to the 1958 NFL championship played on December 28, 1958 at Yankee Stadium, a 23-17 overtime victory by the Baltimore Colts against the New York Giants. It amazes me, Susan, that sports lends itself to constant debate. What was the best? Who was the greatest? Why is this called the greatest game ever played? Why will it always be called the greatest game ever played? I think it always will be the greatest game ever played. One of the reasons is it really was a great game. It was a close game. It went into overtime. It went into the first sudden death. Um, It's a championship game. But because this game had so many firsts, that can't be duplicated. The firsts have already been been created. So you're never going to have someone else coming along with some of these firsts. Uh, it's It's a championship game, as I said, that has the first sudden death, but it has a monster audience. It has a huge audience for its time, 1958. A quarter of the American population tunes in. It's interesting because it's at a time of year and it's on an evening. The weather is so bad in so many parts of the country that instead of doing what other people normally did during their holiday time, 
everybody's gathering around the television and they're watching this game. And the NFL has never had a platform like this before. And one of the problems was several of the earlier NFL championship games were horrible, awful games. They were one-sided, lopsided, really awful. This game is a thriller to the end. Uh, so the fact that it is really the, the major, major debut of what professional championship football could be this is the first time people are seeing what it really could be. They're seeing it on TV. And even if you don't have a stake in the team, either Baltimore or New York, you are thrilled by it. So let's set the scene. There are 45 million people tuned in on television, including the President of the United States, Dwight Eisenhower. He was playing bridge with some friends that included the, the President of Coca-Cola, William Robinson. Coca-Cola then being a big partner for major sports leagues. 45 million people, 25% of the United States, because not many people had television at this time. Just to give you a comparison, 30% of the population tunes into the Super Bowl today. So this is a pretty much Super Bowl audience tuned into this championship game at Yankee Stadium. The Giants are leading 14-3 to at halftime, and then Johnny Unitas comes down the field and he helps the Colts tie the game on a last second field goal. So it's 17-17. You talked about a lot of firsts. This was the first quote unquote two minute, two minute drill, drill in the United States. Yes, this is something that uh, Unitas has, has been working on. He's been doing it during the season, but he's never done it on a national stage before and it's never been seen. It now becomes, of course, something that we expect uh, from our premier quarterbacks. And this is really the first time you're seeing this fellow out there managing, uh, game managing, um, the way that Unitas is. Uh, you have a number of pioneers in football, people who are really important in developing offensive and defensive schemes who are participating in this game. Uh, you, not only do you have someone like Johnny Unitas who's out on the field, you've got Raymond Berry who really redefined the role of the wide receiver. He's out there studying game film and doing all kinds of things other wide receivers are not doing in preparation for each game. Uh, Frank Gifford and Pat Summerall, who many people will later discover as uh, game announcers and commentators, they're participants in the game. Uh, you've got about 17 people that will eventually show up in the Hall of Fame, either as players, as coaches, or as executives who are associated with this 1958 game. So a lot of the, the, um, the major players who moved football out of its early era, out of its, its less important era, into the 60s, into the age when it surpasses baseball in popularity, they're associated with this game. There are big names here. You have... Johnny Unitas now leading the Colts down the field, the, 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 the two-minute drill. And you have Weeb Eubank, his coach, guiding the Colts. He then would go on to coach the Jets in Super Bowl III. Joe Namath, the guarantee game, another monumental game for the NFL. And on defense, the Giants, their plays are being called by defensive coordinator Tom Landry. The other coordinator for the Giants, Vince Lombardi. Do you even know who the head coach of the Giants was? Because you don't really need to be a head coach if your coordinators are Vince Lombardi and Tom Landry. And that's why the coach of the New York Giants said that his main job was to make sure that the balls were inflated properly. That's all he had to do. That was Jim Lee Howell. Remember yes. that name. Because I'm sure it'll it'll come up on Jeopardy. So now all of a sudden, the Colts kicked the, the game-tying field goal after Johnny Unitas with his All-American haircut and, and Raymond Berry, the, the, the precision of the two-minute drill that we've come to expect. And so it's tied 17-17. Now, the NFL 
never was in this position before of, of having a championship game being tied. We don't crown two champions in the United States. We have to have one champion. So the NFL had a system in place in 1946 that if a championship game was tied, it would go into sudden death overtime. But, but that had never happened because many of the NFL championship games were so lopsided. So Pat Summerall, who was an end and a place kicker for the Giants and then a very prominent announcer for Fox. He said, well, what happens now? So his teammate, the linebacker for the Giants, Sam Huffs, was told that it would be a sudden death overtime after the referee gave the instructions. Sudden death? What the hell is he talking about? This had never happened before. No, this is what you've got millions of Americans sitting at home going, well, what do we do now? Uh, do we play an entire quarter? Uh, this idea of sudden death, the first team to score wins, this is brand new. And this is one of the one of the things that makes the game the greatest game ever played. And so then in overtime, Alan Amici plunges into the end zone and he scores the game-winning touchdown for the Colts. The Colts win 23-17. to NFL Commissioner Burt Bell calls it the greatest game he's ever seen. And the next day, a writer for the Hartford Courant, Frank Keyes, I think he summed it up perfectly. He said a script writer would get laughed out of Hollywood if he submitted an account of the proceedings. Even a science fiction writer doesn't have that kind of an imagination. So not only was it such a great game, you also had such a big audience following it, and they knew right away Way, that, that this knew, was such a phenomenal they game. They knew they had seen a classic because they hadn't seen one uh, in, a, in quite a while at the championship level. But over the years, over the decades, the stature of this game has also increased. And I think that's one of the advantages that this game has over other contests is is its longevity in our memory and its longevity in football history. That this is a game that has so many decades of history behind it with the players who are in it. And it's going to be very difficult to ever match uh, kind of the perfect storm of factors that led to this being such a monumental landmark. And all the people that were involved 50 years later, if you looked at all the people in the Hall of Fame at that time, 5% of them had played in this one game. So it, it, it was the perfect storm. And so within a year, the the next year, the ceremony for, for the greatest game ever played, the Pulitzer Prize winning columnist for the New York Times, Arthur Daly, he was considering the greatest game ever played. Is this the greatest game ever played? Should this be called the greatest game ever played? And he said the words are uttered with such fervent revenance and positiveness that it almost would seem like heresy to doubt the infallibility of the doctrine stated. So the label endures even today, but not only was that just one moment, but then it ushered in a chain of events that really makes the NFL what it is because a year later you have Lamar Hunt, the billionaire from Texas, announcing that he's going to form the American Football League. And so from that one game, you get the creation of the NFL, the creation of the AFL, and then ultimately the Super Bowl. How much of that one game do you think played into a role of, of someone thinking, you know what, not only is professional football here to stay, we can create another professional football league that will be successful. Absolutely, because if you've got a quarter of the country tuning in, you've got room to expand. You've got cities all across the country that don't have an NFL team, but might be interested in having one now after seeing the success of this game. And so by the 1960s, there is an appetite and a hunger for acquiring an NFL team. It becomes a badge of honor if your city is actually the home to an NFL team. And then that leads to the Super Bowl. 
always a great game, won't be called the greatest game ever played, but wow, the Super Bowl today, you can't even begin to describe the effect that it has on the country in terms of the sheer number of people, the dollars. As somebody who's looked at football history for 400 years, is there anything in America that rivals the Super Bowl? Well, really only a couple of things. For example, Thanksgiving is the day that Americans consume the most amount of food, and F Super Bowl Sunday is second to that. So, And that's a secular holiday. That's the other thing that's interesting. It's become a national holiday in a way. Uh, people who normally don't watch football find themselves at Super Bowl parties. They find themselves celebrating something that they don't perhaps always pay attention to. So it really is a cultural marker, I think, in our history that it has become this kind of, of a celebration. And I don't think that we're going to see in the near future something else that occupies the country for an entire day the way Super Bowl Sunday does. Even more so than voting for the President of the United States, the Super Bowl, and, and I think they've talked about having the Super Bowl be a national holiday, or maybe even having the day after the Super Bowl <laughs> being a national holiday. Well, a lot of us would prefer that, yes. Because <laughs> you need time to recover, to recover from the second largest food consumption day in, in the United States. And so you just wonder, looking back 50 years to the start of the Super Bowl, looking back a decade before that to the greatest game ever played, that wasn't the Super Bowl, but, but it really had all the ingredients that led to what the Super Bowl is becoming today. Absolutely. It's a, it's a very admirable grandfather of a game. And maybe the most grandfatherly figure in NFL football, Frank Gifford, when he was looking back at the 50th anniversary of the game, he summed it up on December 28, 1958. Everything changed. Crowds began filling stadiums across the country in cities whose stadiums had been half empty in the years before. Television ratings began to climb. Athletes who'd once labored in a lunch pail league were now the stars of primetime television shows and graced the covers of the weekly magazines. So the greatest game ever played is really how it all started and to learn more about the greatest game ever played to look at football nation that susan rayburn authored at the library of congress along with many other things about how the nfl became what it is today so susan thank you for helping me take a look back in time at the greatest game ever played the answer to a trivia question but also the answer to why the nfl really is what the nfl is today thank you jonathan always fun to be with you Maybe there'll be a future greatest game ever played. Nah, this no, this is it. No, this is it. It's as good as it gets, but the NFL continues to get bigger and bigger.